Hello and welcome to a mutagen exposed episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brent Mosier and Travis Santana, and we are once again accompanied by friend of the show, Andrew Pabone. Today, we'll finish out our Corey Feldman trilogy with 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We'll jump into five-point inspection with Father Figure, A Beautiful Canvas, A Score to Settle, Birth of the Fanboy, and of course, it's the Corey Feldman trilogy, so we'll round it out with Corey Feldman. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. windshield flat tire dead battery don't worry the shop you trust with all your auto repairs can now help you with a lot of car emergencies that's right the hollywood chop shop now offers roadside assistance for our vip members but wait there's more we guarantee we'll be there in 30 minutes or less so just call son of a bitch This is Travis. Sorry I missed your call. Leave me a message and I'll call you back. Hey man, just saw our new TV spot. Great work, but it seems like there were some script revisions that we didn't quite agree on. Like the 30 minute guarantee? Remember we talked about that. They stopped doing that shit because pizza drivers were running red lights and causing general traffic mayhem. We really need to pull that ad, so call me back. Sorry to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming. This is Andrew Pabone with Channel 3 News. You are looking at live helicopter footage at a single vehicle crash. Initial reports indicate a Hollywood chop shop van went airborne, crashing through a billboard before sliding down an embankment. The condition of the driver is unknown, but he was seen fleeing the scene. More at 11. Hello? Hey, man, you, uh, you busy? I, I might need a ride. Sure, but I can't guarantee I'll be there in 30 minutes or less. Because first, we gotta discuss Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. New York City is the epicenter of a crime wave led by the mysterious Shredder, a ruthless master of the new ninjutsu. To carry out his string of petty thievery, the Shredder has enlisted only the fiercest and highly trained operatives to deplete New York City of its purses, wallets, and consumer electronics. Angsty teenage boys. Now to combat the rising crime, four adolescent anthropomorphic shelled reptile siblings trained in the classic art of ninjutsu must emerge from the sewers and fight back the Foot Clan in its kingpin. Alrighty, boys, you know I'm gonna wanna know. Or we're gonna. <laughs> Alrighty, boys, we'll jump into five point inspection here in a second, but you know I wanna know your quick diagnostic of 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. I think Andrew should start. This is always he... my favorite part when we have a guest on the show, is there's always that long pause as to who's gonna go first. So, Travis, are you gonna go first? No, Andrew literally posted in the chat pictures of his childhood wearing memorabilia from this movie. So I think we owe it to Andrew for Andrew to lead it off. Love the movie. I think it's a gold standard 90s movie. It It's probably just a perfect 90s movie also. Okay, Andrew. Love it. Just it's a answered the question. Travis. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is already just... <laughs> yeah, just... Uh, <laughs> 
We're batting a thousand on this episode, boys. Um, okay. So I'm sure most of the listeners won't realize how many errors have happened in the first 30 seconds of us recording this, because I will edit most of it out, but there's already been just a web, a web. That's good. The last 30 seconds of the show are done. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Travis, what was your quick diagnostic of 1990s TMNT? Um, I was prepared to be a harsh critic of this movie. Here's what I'll say. This is my hot take for the podcast. If this were a Marvel movie that came out today, everybody would be sucking its turtle dick. <laughs> okay, I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna fall in birth of the fanboy. Uh, so I enjoyed the movie. There's definitely some weird choices that were made throughout it, and I think to a certain extent. I think it, it's almost to the detriment because I think there's actually a pretty solid movie behind there, but there's a lot of weird choices that kind of cut it off at the knees. We're just kind of like, okay, well, I, I think we've lost a lot of the impact that would have been in this scene. And I, I granted a lot of this probably because it's PG and it's supposed to be a kid's movie. I think in reading some of the trivia and just having some background knowledge in both the cartoon and where Team and T came from, I think... It's interesting that they tried to, I think, marry the original comic book, which was much darker, which I, it was actually, I won't say it's a spinoff, but the origin of the Turtles is actually based off of the origin of Daredevil. Were you guys aware of that? No. So they never reference him by name because I believe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is owned by Warner, which is owned by DC. Whoopsies. So I might have said that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is owned by DC right there, but in fact, they are owned by Nickelodeon, who is owned by Viacom. So, uh, sorry for the mistake. Just thought it was pertinent to go ahead and take care of that now before we resume the rest of the episode. So please enjoy the rest of 1990's TMNT review. They own all that. I think it was Image Comics and stuff like that. Maybe Vertigo. I don't exactly remember that, but the opening panels of the original comic for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they are actually exposed to the same toxic waste that gives daredevil his powers and a lot of what happens in teenage mutant turtles is actually kind of a a joke off of daredevil daredevil's nemesis is a ninja clan called the hand and the teenage mutant ninja turtles fight the foot clan um even like uh, the original team and t like none of they didn't have colors they were all they all wore red masks which again kind of went back to daredevil and, and that color choice there it wasn't until they did the cartoon where they decided to, to give them all their own variation in color so what wound up happening is in this movie they tried to take a lot of the kind of the darker tones of the comic book and those origins and then they tried to marry it with what was going on with the cartoon because it was such a success and it winds up being this kind of weird movie almost andrew like you said it's a perfect 90s movie because it's a little all over the place but still enjoyable <laughs> Travis, uh, it should it can't go unknown what you're wearing for this podcast, by the way. Uh, what, uh, apparently, I didn't know it was also an homage to the Daredevil original uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, I thought he was doing a Kim Corey Feldman from The Lost Boys. <laughs> That's pretty close. We just need a little <laughs> Airborne logo on there. Yeah, I'm, I'm representing my favorite turtle, Raphael, with uh, a, a red bandana. I, I thought cutting the eyes out and wearing it as a mask would be a little bit too disturbing for you guys. So, yeah, this is. <laughs> well, the problem is I wouldn't know who we were talking to. 
I wouldn't know if we were actually talking to a ninja or if it was Travis the entire time. So wait, were, were the turtles supposed to be in the Daredevil universe or they were just supposed to serve as an homage to Daredevil? Basically an homage because they were owned by two different companies. Okay. Marvel obviously owned Daredevil. Like I said, I think the turtles are actually owned by, I mean, DC, which is owned by Warner Brothers. So, but at the, at the time that all that came out, so... It would have been, I believe, DC who owned it. Oh, hey, hi, me again. Uh, actually, it wasn't until 2009 that it was sold to Nickelodeon, aka Viacom. At that point, it would have been the original creators, Eastman and Laird, who actually owned it. So, again, just for, for context and correction there. So, if nothing else, I think we can go ahead and jump into five. Oh, I have Andrew. one little fun fact here. Um, just because it was in the Ooh. opening skit, the last part, the pizza delivery scene. So, if mm -hmm. you guys remember the guy, the Domino's delivery guy who showed up late. Yeah. That guy, his name is, uh, I think it's like Michael Sistisi or something. Born in San Juan. Also oh. was the puppeteer. Also, San Juan, Puerto Rico, yeah. Also was the uh, puppeteer in the show Dinosaurs for the mom. How about that? How about oh. that weird fact? It was Francine, right? Oh, my God. There's no... So, Travis is wearing a green shirt. I thought it was Francine. It, it, it was Charlene, whoever Charlene was. I thought that was the mom, but... Charlene, uh, Charlene probably was the mom. I could be wrong. Um, it might have been Fran Frank. Was that the name of... No, Earl was the name of the father we're getting well, he's, also, he's also <laughs> topic, uh, he's also uh i guess like one of the jim henson puppeteers for michelangelo in the movie so they gave him i think they just gave his real person the cameo there i mean i'm not sure if it's going to come up anywhere else so if we're going to talk about cameos uh how about sam rockwell being in this movie as soon as he came on screen i had to immediately pause it and go to imdb because i'm like i swear to god i think that's a young sam rockwell <laughs> yeah and speaking of cameos i think all of the the actors inside the turtle suits or the puppeteers appear in cameos in the movie. Uh, the guy who I think voices Raphael is the guy in the cab sitting in the back who says, what the hell was that? And the cab driver's like, oh, you look like some a giant turtle with a trench coat. The guy in the back was Raphael. <laughs> You're going to LaGuardia, right? <laughs> I just love that that's the disguise the turtles splinter's okay with the turtles walking out in public and that like no they're wearing a trench coat and a, and a, a hat i but killed a bug yourself? sorry uh, another uh, cam no. i don't know if you guys are fans of uh surf ninjas at all but uh i'm not familiar with the franchise ernie reyes jr do you guys know who that is uh yeah he's in the sequel, he's surfer right? ninja. He sure is he's the pizza delivery guy um, Kino, he, yeah. Yeah, he also plays Donat he or he didn't play. He is Donatello in this movie. So he he was the guy inside the costume because his dad has a lot of connections in Hollywood. I think his dad had done some stuff and I think helped him get a lot of martial arts roles. So he's in a ton of martial arts movies, but he was like, Yeah, I think most of the turtles, a lot of the action scenes were done by people from Hong Kong, but one person called out sick, so he became Donatello. That's well, pretty awesome. I, I don't know if, if we're going to get into the five points, but the fucking ability of the guys in the suits to do jujitsu in those suits 
is incredible. I had forgotten how good they are able to fight and handle the weapons while wearing these, you know, foam rubber suits. So it's funny you say I completely agree, Travis, and that this isn't meant to take away from that. Apparently, some of those scenes, because of how restricted the suits were, it kind of slowed them down. So they actually filmed a lot of those scenes uh, with 23 frames per second so that when they sped it up to real time, it would actually look like they were faster than what they were. Um, again, not to say like, especially when you see the the shot of Casey Jones looking at Raphael, like doing the con like on the rooftop, you're like, they actually have a lot of movement considering they're in a turtle suit. Call back to Footloose. I like how Raphael, when he's mad, he does like dance karate by himself, much like <laughs> Kevin Bacon and Footloose. Oh, so let's go ahead and do five point. I think when we're talking about, I want to do a score to settle because I think that kind of goes into what you're talking about with the combat in this movie is because I thought this movie actually had some really well choreographed like fights for a, a, a kid's movie <laughs> a movie where four of the actors are in giant turtle costumes. I'm like, it actually looks really good. When I talk about some of the interesting decisions in this movie, I think one of the most interesting is the score that they would use in a lot of these fights because I think if you swapped out that kind of funky, I guess, surfer, like, cartoon, because essentially I think they were channeling the cartoon with a lot of that, those fight scenes and put in a little bit more dramatic music, like... I think it would have made those fights 10 times better than what they were because it just winds up being that goofy score undercuts all of the actual choreographing that was done in those fight scenes because you're just like, this just kind of feels goofy. And then they even add in some of the goofy cartoon sound effects. like that, And you're like, okay, like, I think we could have done away with some of that stuff. But again, I don't know if that's, if somebody were, I would love, you know, a Topher Grace cut of this movie where he goes in and puts in an actual, like, badass score to some of those fights just to see what exactly you get out of it. I think there's a reason for it. It's a kid's movie. Yeah. Uh, do you guys know what the name of the... Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I, I did a lot of research. I feel like I'm going to step on a lot of things. Do you guys know about the UK? The, Brit the Britain stuff? Teenage Mutant Hero yeah, Turtles? Yeah, because apparently like the UK was frightened of ninjas, so you couldn't reference ninjutsu at all. And you couldn't show nunchucks in any movies or TV shows or video games in the UK at that time. So, so yes, the how did cartoon, they work around that? So the, the cartoon, the actual cartoon was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. When the movie was released, they were allowed to keep the ninja title because they thought it would help distinguish the movie from the cartoon. So... They were actually able to keep the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle title card for this movie, even though a lot of it was trying to basically take, you know, profit off of the, you know, the cartoon already being so successful, that IP. Um, but yes, the, what Andrew's bringing up, yeah, absolutely. In, in the UK, the cartoon was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. And I believe in Germany, they actually added more goofy sound effects because they wanted to make it more lighthearted. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's like to get a lower movie rating, like a closer to PG or yep. what, but... Uh... Also, Casey Jones was apparently so scary, they didn't put him in the second one. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I read somewhere that parent groups just thought that he was a frightening guy. I, I think there's some scenes where maybe you could argue that... <laughs> he comes off unhinged. A little unhinged, yeah, but I don't know if a, a kid would notice that. <laughs> like, I think a kid would just see that in a fun way. But anyway, I mean, I, I would imagine maybe that's why they couldn't go quite as cool with the fight scenes as they wanted to. 
my guess. Well, even though I think the fight scenes are, or I guess you're saying, yeah, I think the, with the, the choreography of the yeah. fight scenes, and that was their way to solve it. Yeah, I it. think it's just a matter of, yeah, it was just, it's a very bizarre way, again, to cut what I think was just fantastic work. Again, I can't imagine having to try and, you've been brought in to, to choreography for, for kung fu scenes, you're like, oh, by the way, your protagonists are going to be in these gigantic animatronic <laughs> turtle suits. So you're going to have to deal with that. And I thought they did a fantastic job with it. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Casey Jones, him being frightening, I, I don't really necessarily agree with that. But I, as a child, I don't think I processed the fact that he literally crushes Shredder to death. Me either. Just I kinda, thought the same thing. <laughs> does, does it he, with a, a wry smile? Hey, you know, hey. When we saw this movie in 90, there was no secret of the use. So as far as I'm concerned, yeah. I mean, we see his head or his helmet like smash. And uh, Casey Jones just does it with a lighthearted joke with the oops. He kills so, yeah, him. Dark shit for a kid's movie. Yeah. So I can um, see why they felt well, the need to throw it. in what, the goofy what was, music. What was he going to do to those teenagers had Raph not stepped in? <laughs> True. Well, and I guess there's the scene where the the Foot Clan, the second command, I'm, I'm not familiar with his name, when he beats the, the shit out of that kid. Apparently, he's originally he was supposed to die, but I think it's in the actual like book adaptation of the movie. They have to put in a couple extra lines to imply that he's breathing afterward to make sure people understand that he doesn't actually kill the kid for failing. When they're in the, the locker room and, you know, what is it, Pinocchio's... Top children two. lost children town shredder is also supposed to have died at the end there was i forgot i forgot why but there was a reason that they decided that he wouldn't be dead to bring him into the second one are you gonna say something travis i uh, know the sidekick is named tatsu oh tatsu yeah little <sighs> primatine clear that right up <laughs> Uh, so, Travis, I'm interested to know what uh, a beautiful canvas is about. Oh, can I can I ask one more thing about the fight scenes? Oh, Sorry. Well, yes. Um, did you guys do you guys do any research on how they're able to do that and like the relation with that and the like Jim Henson animatronics are? I didn't. I was just wondering if you guys knew. To what like, degree? These things blink. Their mouths move and everything. And while they're fighting, that stuff happens. I mean, is is there like? I don't know how these suits yeah, work. I don't know how they blink. There's actually a rig inside the helmet. In fact, the scene, the, the park scene where Raphael and Casey Jones meet for the first time, when uh, Raphael's head gets thrown into the garbage can, the animatronics inside the helmet actually broke the actor's nose that was inside it. So you see in the scene where like Raphael kind of goes to grab his nose, and that's because the actual actor's nose was broken inside the mask of the, of the robot. And it was the same thing with whenever, you know, I guess the animatronics were kind of slow. So it was another reason I think a lot of times when they actually show the face of the turtles talking, I think that was also filmed at 23 frames per second for the same reason that when you put it in regular time, it would speed it up so it didn't look so slow. But apparently Jim Henson said like that was this was the most ambitious puppets that they had ever done when they did this for the movie. And originally there were discussions of actually just having almost like a space jam where they were going to draw the turtles in as cartoons and somebody came in and said like no no no, no that's not gonna work we we actually need to have them as actors and so they just had like a whole rig in those turtle heads that would blink and oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. those those turtle costumes were insanely insanely hot 
for the for the actors who had to wear them because even then you have to think of the material those things were made out of like that that doesn't breathe yeah fun fact you can uh if you go on ebay right now you can actually bid for the original leonardo head from this movie it's only thirteen thousand dollars and it looks you can tell that it's from a 30 year old movie because it's if you look it up it's horrifying to look at because it's kind of like <laughs> dry rotted throughout the years it's it's very disturbing <laughs> kind of looks like five nights at freddy's kind of artwork <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, but yes, to to your question, Andrew, yeah, the, the actual helmets or the masks they wore had all of the animatronics for the eyes and, and the facial expressions inside them. And then I think Splinter had I think it took three people to operate Splinter. I think one person controlled like the kind of the body. One person controlled the face. And I can't remember what the third person controlled, but there were multiple puppeteers for, for Splinter. So a beautiful canvas what do we got going on here it's because it's because all the turtles are named after painters oh <laughs> that's good yeah yeah um i i'm not gonna step on one of your segments brett i i know the sticker price of this here movie um it's incredibly low budget uh like literally this was the highest grossing independent film until blair witch the mm -hmm. fact what they're able to pull off i mean like andrew said just the the animatronics in the helmet it feels like that would have burned up a large chunk of this budget. But I couldn't believe how beautifully shot this movie was. I There are so mm. many, like I literally took some stills on my phone of, um, I, I can't remember which podcast, but Andrew brought up a point that I've always thought about. Like uh, if you can pause a movie at any given point and it looks like a, you would hang it up on your wall, uh, that several moments in this movie uh, accomplished that for me. I'm thinking like Raphael looking over New York, like 90s New York in this movie, the way it is shot. I couldn't believe how low budget mm. this movie was and how pretty it was to look at. The, all the stuff on the farm, gorgeous. So uh, I, if you guys have any shots in particular you want to bring up, I just wanted to mention it. This movie was, I forgot how beautiful it was to look at. Well, I think there's a classic one of Leonardo sitting on the stool, right? Yes, that's I uh, when I think of this movie that's and I don't know if it's because April draws that picture and it winds up being kind of brought through the rest of the movie. But whenever I think of this movie, that's the first thing I think of is that the scene of, of Leonardo stooped over on that that stool waiting for Raphael to, to come. Back I would up. eBay bid on that picture. <laughs> if you could fight if it wasn't a destroyed. One, yeah. yeah, I agree. Uh, Travis, I brought I it up for it. There's this movie called Heat. Yeah, a uh, sequel book come out. Uh, actually, I think it's already out. I think it? it's out, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, so I, I, like, I love the way that this movie shot. Um, I, I think, and I don't know if this is covered in another five point, but the use of puppets also makes a drastic difference in how well this stuff is shot. Oh, absolutely. As I'm opposed to CG. In the scenes of like, yeah, when Splinter is is chained up against the fence and he's on, yeah, even then he's like on the box because they got to prop him up and all that. Like, that's such a a, a beautiful, just tragic scene with the the top lighting with coming down on him and him just you can see where he's supposed to be bloodied up, where they've actually wet the fur and stuff like that from Shredder coming and beating the hell out of out of the rat. Um, I again, just beautiful scenes throughout throughout the movie. 
Um, I'm also I'm thinking think. about the the scene on the farm when they tell April that they have to go back. The turtles are standing in the field and they're backlit with the sun. Like to Andrew's point, if you're doing CGI at that point, you have to worry about matching the lighting. But with puppets, they're they're physically there and it it absolutely shows. Not to bring up heat for the fifth time, but um, <laughs> Michael Mann talks about that scene where. Um, they're doing the stakeout and he's like, we only had, you know, five, 10 minutes to get the shot because of the lighting at that time. And the cameras that we use now, you can kind of, you have a little bit of leeway and where you can shoot that. But with the, I mean, this is a super low budget turtles movie for them to get that shot. You, you only have a matter of minutes to get it. So for them to accomplish that in what was right, the, it, it made the most money of en- any independent film at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Until yeah, Blair Witch. Everyone, even like Corey Feldman, I think only got paid like $1,500 to do the voice of Donatello because everyone was just like, yeah, they just thought it was going to be some low budget filmed and like they were hoping that it would, you know, it would do okay on VHS and then it came out and it just annihilated the box office. (laughs) And a lot of this, the decision to go forward with it was people were afraid that if you didn't create a live action version of the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that that IP was going to start losing some of its its steam and you weren't going to be able to profit off of it because despite them having the cartoons and all the toys and all that, they didn't. no one thought this movie was going to be a commercial success and it wound up just completely blowing everything to the point where, I mean, the sequel came out a year later and I, I, don't, I can't think of a time where, unless you're talking about like Lord of the Rings where they literally filmed everything back to back to back so they could do that. Like, this movie came out. It was so successful. They immediately said, "Make another one because we're releasing it next year." <laughs> uh, yeah, it it is. It is very surprising to to see something that well done again in a, in a kids movie, an independent kids movie <laughs> based off of cartoons and comic books. I mean, going to the budget, almost everything in this movie for I, I, was Sam Rockwell known at all at the time or uh, no. Corey, Fe- no. I mean, Corey Feldman had already done Lost Boys, like just the idea that they could get him. Like, was he a fan of the Turtles or something? He might have been. Or again, it was one of those things they just thought, hey, he would help out an independent film. So when it hit VHS, maybe it would be successful. Like nobody. I'm sure that if they knew what it was going to do, they would have renegotiated to those contracts. I think of all the Turtles, Raphael is the only one who the voice actor and the actual actor like the body person were the same person. Everybody else was a different voice and body. Uh, you know, Elmo's in this movie, right? That's Splinter. Yeah. How crazy is that? <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I guess it doesn't age well, huh? <laughs> no. No, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, I'm not Wait, that familiar why? with the story, but... I'm pretty sure he got, like, caught with... I don't know. It's something with children. I did beyond that. I don't know if it was oh. molestation or child pornography or yeah. No, the original voice of Elmo got into some trouble with with kitty stuff. Well, had I known that, I would have used it for my time capsule. If I'm completely honest, I thought Andrew <laughs> ruined your time capsule, which I'm trying. I'm, I'm we'll, trying we'll, desperately we'll to do, Travis. I, I'm actually <laughs> worried that you will. I'm I'm really holding on to it right now. <laughs> I'm trying my best to stick to the five points this time. I'm not bringing up anything. Uh, as he's brought up heat seven times. Um, so birth of a fanboy. I have a question for you guys as I watch this movie because we've talked about it a bunch of times, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more about the puppets and just how well they were designed. Jim Henson and crew, how well they did 
just almost a one-to-one creation. What you saw in the comics and the cartoons is almost exactly what you got with those puppets. Is this basically the benchmark that created the fanboy culture that we have now where somebody watches a movie and says well that's not the costume they wore in the comic book where it's like because of how much dedication they spent in a movie in the night because i even i mean they did like a fantastic four and i think like a captain america and like some other shitty marvel stuff like in the 80s and stuff like that but to me this is the first time i can think of a property like this where they took it and there was either a comic book or a a cartoon in this level of dedication and i'm there i'm sure there's stuff before but this is what comes to mind with the level of detail they put in to everything down to what shredder looked like splinter in the you know this is another one of those where they were kind of blending the comics in the in the cartoon in the comic book splinter's origin was that he mimicked his master's ninjutsu and that's how he learned how to how to be a ninja in the cartoon he was the master, the, the ninjutsu master who wound up being transformed into a rat because of the, the ooze. So they took the comic book origin with, with Splinter. But just, again, how much they cared. Apparently Robin Williams, I read in the trivia, was very instrumental in making sure that everything was accurate to, to the franchise and all that. So there was just so much love and care. And now we've got our age and people younger than us are basically the ones that are coming up and watching movies and now saying, hey, that's not accurate. And I just wonder how much fits because we, at such a young age, we watched a movie like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where there was that level of dedication where it's like, no, that's the benchmark. Like, I want you to make movies like TMNT where you stay faithful to the source material and you're able to translate it to the big screen. Do you think that this movie? <laughs> when I Good listened Lord. to some of the other ones I was on, I was felt like I talked too much, so I, I you know I feel the same way. That's why I. Uh... You, feel, uh, you I, think honestly, I also talked too I much? Can't... I got you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I honestly can't give a, a valid opinion here, Brett, simply because I guess. I guess I never thought about that. Maybe subconsciously I absorbed that because I was a huge fan of the the cartoons. I never, honestly, I didn't even know it was a comic when I saw the movie. I I just thought it was based upon the cartoons. So, the faithfulness, I that element never really occurred to me. Again, if if that happened, it was only through kind of osmosis and, and subconscious. Yeah, I think we were too young for that to have played a part. I mean, I never, I don't even think I knew that there was a Turtles comic that this was based off of. I was a huge fan of the cartoon the video games, and the pizza that they would sell at a Grand Union where I lived. Well, and that's what I'm saying is, like, we weren't at an age where we could, like, where we thought about that. But I'm just saying, is that kind of, again, to your point, or Travis, subconsciously, is it, you know, you see something as a kid that's that well adapted. Is it when you get older, you expect that same level of dedication? And not just us, just... The, our generation and, and the generations coming up, you expect that level of dedication because in the 90s, they were able to do it. You would expect them to be able to do the same thing now. Here's what I'll say. The only example I can think of, because another cartoon I loved around the same time was the X-Men animated series. And I remember, mm-hmm. I think, 99, that first X-Men movie came out with Hugh Jackman. Going into it in my head, because I was I was old enough now where I was like, if they don't make Cyclops a little punk bitch and they if they don't make Wolverine cool and it punking out Cyclops, I'm not going to like this movie. But they did exactly what I wanted. 
<laughs> so I, I'm sure that, you know, in 99, I was 14 seeing that. I'm sure if I was 14 when Ninja Turtles came out, I would I would want some sort of, you know, I want Leonardo to be a little bit corny. I want Raphael to be a little bit edgy. So I want Michelangelo to be super fun. I want Donatello to kind of be wisecracking and smart. So, yeah, they the movie delivered in spades. So, yeah, I don't think I noticed that because it's exactly what I wanted. You know, if you order a hamburger and it's exactly what you want, you don't necessarily think about it. But you know when it's wrong, which I think mm-hmm. is what you're getting at. I, I think, yeah. yeah, I look at it differently as an adult than I would as a kid. I think as a kid, there wasn't any source. I, I Maybe the cartoons, it kind of had to follow. But I feel like maybe it just targeted the turtles. You get the great action scenes. Um, I took karate when I was a kid because of movies like this and Karate Kid and all that stuff. So I think it fulfilled that. And then the humor aspect of it. Um, as an adult, this is going to go off on a very weird tangent. As an adult, what I actually thought of was crime in New York City in the 90s. (laughs) Yes, how everybody's concerned because there's a lot of purse snatching and movies to or VHS. Is this a good segment to get into? This will not be controversial, but just like a crime segment of the 90s real quick. Let's do it. Crime of the 90s. If you don't know, violent crime was sky high in the 90s if you look at crime stats of violent crime between the 90s and now it's almost like we don't have violent crime now and that's definitely saying something um and i so i was looking this up because there's a lot of theories as to why crime went down in new york city but it wasn't just new york city it was almost globally that crime had a big decline around this time um so that begs the question why was there so much crime in the 90s and i found that there is this insane theory that has passed every single litmus test, though, from every single like academic study that's out there, and it's called the lead crime theory. Have you guys ever heard of this? No. No. And th- this is a little turtle-related, since they live in the sewers and they're around a lot of lead pipes, I'm assuming. <laughs> um, crime <laughs> okay. actually follows um, when people were like drinking water from lead pipes and use, like, using lead materials to when they weren't. So this this goes. So lead makes us violent. So the, the, the idea is that lead had a has an effect on the brain when you're an adolescent, and as you get older, you are more likely to commit violent crime. So they tracked it in the states. They would track it in big cities. They would track it in rural areas. They would track it across different countries. So basically, they would look at all sorts of stats to figure out kind of what what could have caused this big decline. But a big theory and. It like there there are so many questions to ask about it, and they a lot of them are follow, follow that logic. Is that places that reduced lead pipes and lead usage, lead paints, that kind of stuff, saw a humongous crime uh, reduction throughout the years. It goes as far as like when did Jamaica start doing this? When did Japan start doing this? And they all have the same decline around when those things started. Just a weird thing that I discovered because I just went on this tangent when I was watching the Turtles movie, and yeah, <laughs> you can look so, it up and you will. So the you turtles, will not see it's. It's not like a, I will see a a off filter blogger blogging about this. It's like here is the Harvard study, here is the Sanford study, here is like the FBI study of all this, like that that kind of stuff. So you're telling me watching 1990s TMNT <laughs> led you to this discovery. This is the most informational that this podcast has ever been. I, I Kudos, just, Andrew. 
I've lived in small places. Like I lived in New York, uh, upstate New York when this movie came out. I've lived, you know, I've lived in Chicago, LA. I've lived in Louisville. I've lived in a city of those sort of sizes. And crime is always fascinating to me. And for some reason, I looked this up and I went down this wormhole when I was watching this last night. So you uh, are you trying to be a penologist? <laughs> Trevor, are you calling me claustrophobic? Because I've never looked at another man before. <laughs> I don't know oh. how to follow the. the I, it was just crime. a weird thing, and I felt like I needed to tell somebody because. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's very interesting. I had never heard about lead crime. So, uh, speaking of crime, father figure. <laughs> how, how is that? How's that speaking of crime, Brad? Don't don't that's have one. But that's another five point. Yeah. Uh yeah. So when I mentioned that, uh, you know, if this was a if this were a Marvel movie that came out today, everybody would love it and, and go wild for it. Um, I was impressed that they had the the theme of fathers running throughout. Like, uh, obviously, you have the Turtles losing Splinter. You have Shredder being a, a father figure. Like, tangent real quick. Uh, how much of a Star Wars ripoff did you think this was, Brett? Because Splinter is Yoda. Shredder is Darth Vader. Casey Jones is Han Solo. April Neal is Princess Leia. I can see some of the archetypes. I don't know if it flows. It's. I don't think it would be one-to-one. But I could definitely see some influence, yes. Yeah, just just had to bring that up really quick. But I, I liked, uh, you know, Danny and uh, whatever his dad's name was, Charles, which, by the way, was... was Charles! Charles! Uh... Was April fucking her boss? Yes, I had the same question. I kind of thought the same thing. At the beginning, I thought that I was like, oh, is this? I didn't remember this being April's stepson. Oh, it's not. What is going on here? Does she does she like <laughs> kind of live there and he she can just come over whenever he wants? What is this relationship? Yeah, yeah. How long has she like did she used to babysit Danny or something like that? It's weird the relationship those two seem to have. Well, and Andrew, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the actress who played April did not return for the sequel because she was so dissatisfied with the edit that her character got in this movie. So that makes me wonder if actually there was like an affair subplot with the the boss and her. Apparently, there's a lot of the farmhouse that got cut out of this movie for whatever reason that does a lot more development on each of the individual turtles, like about... They were sparring together individually, like coming through stuff. Apparently, Michelangelo gets very depressed on the farm. And like the whole turtle wax joke is supposed to be even more of a reprieve because before that, Michelangelo was incredibly depressed. Um, You get a lot more of the April O'Neil Casey Jones relationship. So it makes a lot more sense why at the the end they're in love. Because the way the movie is shot now, it's just like I didn't notice this until I read the trivia, but like. Casey Jones never calls April by her name in the entire movie. <laughs> he never calls her April. But yet at the end, they wind up smooching, right? They wind up together. And then there's another scene that doesn't, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's just one of those, like, I thought it was weird, like, where Raphael has the apple, and then he says something after he beats a bunch of the Foot Clan, he throws the apple. Apparently there's a scene on the farm where all of them are playing, uh, like, Hot Potato Ninja style, and if the you caught the apple last... Basically, the other three turtles would gang up on you, and 
that was part of the reference is that he got the apple, they ganged up on him, so then when the Foot Clan gangs up on either and he tosses the apple, like, it's a callback to that scene, but that scene got cut out, so instead he just has an apple. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the farm got cut out of this movie for whatever reason. Do you reason. think they explained why some of the turtles have really sharp weapons? Like, Leonardo has swords and Raphael has sighs, but they never cut anything, except when Casey Jones is cutting carrots. I even like when, when Leonardo is trying to cut the foot soldier and then gets him off rhythm and still chooses yes. not to cut his head off when he actually has his has him in, in, in the situation. I also like, it's one of those things, it's not as impactful to me when Raphael gets the absolute shit beat out of him. Because to me, that's the character part where like he realizes he shouldn't go it alone. And then what I wanted was... When he's fighting Shredder at the end, he's the one who tells all of his brothers, like, okay, wait a second, we have to go at Shredder all at the same time. Like, that would have been a beautiful, like, growth moment. Like, oh, Raphael has learned he can't just go at it alone. Instead, they still all just go at it individually. I thought Shredder getting defeated was one of the most anticlimactic boss battles in any movie. The only one that I think beats it is Hellboy. Hellboy is, to me, the ultimate anticlimactic boss battle i actually thought when tatsu fought casey jones that was pretty lame wait does he fight him yeah uh hits him with the yeah, golf club. i guess yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no that's a really good point i mean the the most dramatic powerful moment in this movie is the the campfire scene where splinter speaks to them and literally tells them like together you're stronger than you could ever be apart but they don't they don't use that in practice to defeat Shredder. No. They go one at a time, which normally I, I don't <laughs> mind. But when literally your your Yoda rat is telling you you have to work together and then you don't do it 20 minutes later, it's a little bit weird. I, I never noticed it as a kid, but I definitely noticed it this time. I, I will also say I love the scene of when Shredder walks in for the first time and he's got the giant cape and what is it? What's his name? His uh, second in command. Tatsu has to gently take the cape off of his spike shoulders. But it's like, he doesn't take the cape entirely off. He just pulls it behind them. Like, why didn't you just start with the cape behind the shot? If you're not taking the cape completely off, it just seems like it would have made more sense to have the cape behind the spike shoulders to begin with. So... A complaint that I have this time that I never had before. We, we were complimenting the turtles and Splinter and how they look. Uh, you could tell they didn't have a lot of budget left over for Shredder. What is Shredder wearing in this movie? This this purple sparkly, glorious, <laughs> glorious outfit. Like he's in a Prince video. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Is that a pa <laughs> pantsuit that he's wearing? I love it. You know, actually, now that you mention it, this is kind of unrelated. I have a complaint. So uh, I, I'm going to make a correction, Brett. I believe Elmo, Kevin Gage is his name, voice Shredder. Wait, well, Kevin Gage? Or no, no, no. He didn't voice did he know? He, vo he did Splinter. Oh. He absolutely did, did Splinter. I, I Are you saying Ke Kevin Gage? Did I hear Not that correctly? Uh, Kevin oh, Gage? No, no, no. Uh, I forgot his name. Kevin Clash. Clash. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Voiced yeah. Splinter. Um, but the guy who originally voiced Shredder in the cartoon should have been the voice for him in this movie. Who Do you guys know who that is, right? No. Oh, I don't want to get this wrong, but I believe it is Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uncle Phil. Oh, it is. Uncle Phil voiced him. Yes, it is. Huh. That would have been cool, right? That would have that would have really up Shredder. It doesn't sound very Japanese, though. 
Well, neither does Elmo, right? <laughs> He's from Baltimore. <laughs> Splinter's uh, Japanese. Yes, Kevin Clash. Kevin Clash, who voiced Elmo in Splinter yeah. in this movie, uh, left the sh- apparently left Sesame Street in 2012 uh, after s- several sexual abuse allegations came up against him. Uh, several men came forward accusing the act- voice actor of sexually abusing them when they were underage. So, I don't know how much, if he ever got convicted of anything. I think Uncle yeah. Phil could have done Splinter also. I think he could have fill both roles just fine. I, I Here, I got a character development moment for you guys. I think this is the best <laughs> character development moment possibly in any movie. Oh April boy. O'Neil in the oh. subway, foot soldier comes up to her, hears a message from Shredder, puts out his hand, and then just slaps oh her across my. the face. <laughs> what more character development do you want than that? That says oh, everything about God. Shredder. He is not here to mess around. But do you recall the line that she delivers before she gets smacked? <laughs> what was that? She asks the foot soldier if she's late on her Sony payments. That's right. I have. Yeah. What What does that mean? What Sony payments? <laughs> uh, I believe. Hmm? That's definitely a what racial slur. That's definitely a racial slur. Oh, is it? No, I don't. I don't think it was. Oh, you don't. You don't think that no, was a... No, no, dude, back in back in the 90s, I think it was like... I, I get wow. it now, Okay, oh, maybe... Wow. <laughs> I, okay, I, I, at some yeah. point, yes. I was wow. going to say, I think there was an actual thing where you had to pay, but I'm like, uh, yeah, nope, you're you're right. It was definitely a racist comment from wow. April there. Yeah, that's... Uh, mm. You want to talk about what has aged poorly if we want to go Bill Simmons route. That's the one <laughs> line in this movie that aged very poorly. Oh, I was going to ask you guys what that what that meant and then the penicillin on the pizza thing meant. It was moldy. Oh, uh, it was just there yeah, too. Yeah, mold on it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> also, did Danny in this movie influence Sid in Toy Story? Is that a reference to Danny from TMNT? They do look pretty similar. I do have another, I have another little gem for you guys. I don't know if you noticed, but when they're in the awesome 90s arcade skateboard ring place that is Shredder's hideout, just are like my absolute uh-huh. dream fort, a bunch of kids are playing at a game called Narc. So I don't know uh-huh. if that's a reference to Danny who then narcs out Splinter. Could be. Did you know what that set was repurposed for? It might be a movie that also repurposed something for uh, a little a little movie we did called Face Off. Mario Brothers? Yes. That, that was the set for Dinotopia. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> this set belongs in a museum. Which came out three years later. <laughs> wow, it's hard to believe that Face Off came out three years after this movie. <laughs> No, it had to be long. When did Face Off came out? 97. I thought it was 9. I was going to say. Um, but yeah, no. The uh, Super Mario Brothers used this for, yeah, Dino Dinotopia. If you went up to a 25-year-old right now and said, this is a Kodak moment, do you think they would know what that means? No. Absolutely that's one of the not. things that's, that I thought of in this movie where I will get that, but I don't know that someone 10 years ago would. Someone born 10 years ago. I about the Noid. Domino's old mascot, Scott, the Noid, was in here. There was an ad and I think an Oid toy. It was like the rabbit-looking guy. 
Do you guys not know what the Noid was? Oh, I do know what you're talking about. I missed him. He had a video game, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember him. I can't believe you don't remember the Noid, Travis. It's pretty obscure. Uh, I don't remember him from a commercial, but maybe if you see him, you'll recognize him. I, I only remember him from have, like being in a video game or having a video game. Did you remember his name? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't remember that. I don't know. I never got to play the game, but for whatever oh, reason, the Noid yeah. had an impact on me. I vaguely remember this. Yeah. The Noid in the 7-Up, like, red circle guy with sunglasses, for whatever reason, I always associate them together. Like, they were a gang or something like that, <laughs> you know? There was a scene where they had They, they uh, always Pepsi They rolled deep. 7-Up and the Noid. There was a scene where they had hmm? Pepsi, or, uh, Pepsi's uh, bazooka gum and Mountain Dew logos, and I was wondering if they paid to get in there, but the independent film nature of this, I'm guessing they didn't. Most of this movie was actually filmed in North Carolina, too, which actually helped because they did have such a small budget. Apparently, North Carolina helped out the helped out a little bit with the uh, <laughs> the financing. Thank you, Travis, for getting that. Yeah, it took. Yeah, me, there was a slight a pause second. for me and a laugh <laughs> because Andrew was uh, waving his shirt around his head like a helicopter. So. Any more you want to talk about the father figure? I, I did think it was interesting how they they went down that route. <laughs> my my favorite one of my favorite parts of this movie is that the opening segment is that no one has ever there's been no eyewitnesses to any of the the crime that has happened, and within seconds of that comment, April O'Neil comes across a bunch of them, and not only that, if you want them people to disappear into the streets and not find anybody, you know who you want a bunch of teenage boys because. <laughs> I don't understand how they kept that a secret and weren't talking shit about it. Like, this ain't fucking Fight Club, right? <laughs> um, the last thing I'll say, because April O'Neil had her own father issues. She's keeping that shop alive, even though it's not profitable in the name of her father. My question, Brett, much like you had a lot of questions about Lost Boys, my one burning question about this movie, what kind of dough is April O'Neil sitting on? So she owns the apartment above that store. She has... A, a farm, I guess, in upstate New York. I don't know where that's supposed to be in relation to New York City. I mean, now you tell me, but it's clearly fucking North Carolina. But, um, <laughs> you know, she's worried about a corner office. Like, she's she's got plenty of real estate. Like, what? what? That, that was weird. Well, she I, did. I mean, I don't know what the insurance claim is going to be on that antique shop. I have a little shop. insight, Travis. I, this is not the okay. 90s, but my grandparents, they lived in an apartment in New York City in a bad part. So we'll assume that April also lived in a bad part. And that maybe this is, you know, the 90s is probably like the height of homicide and violent crime. I think they offered my grandparents to buy, it was like a three bedroom for around $30,000. And this would have been in like the, this must have been in the 80s or early 90s because they moved back to Puerto Rico after that. And they obviously refused to do that. Um, that, that apartment now is like over a million. So there's a chance that maybe it wasn't too, too much for April. I know, and it's an apartment above a pizza place, which is like the dream, but. This isn't like the apartment in Heat, okay, where we're understanding, <laughs> trying to figure out how that graphic designer has the, the beachside apartment, but. I mean, she also does have a fucking farm that apparently she's just inheritance sit there. I don't know, yeah. I, yeah, I assume she's just inherited all this and doesn't care about any of it. Also, where's her mother in this? She only talks about her father. True. But yeah, that's, that's, siblings? that's all I had for father figure. But yeah, all right. Uh, and and last but not least, obviously we have to talk about Corey Feldman. Uh, what did y'all think about the voice of Corey Feldman in this movie? 
It was good. Yep, it's about what I thought too. Yeah, it was the voice of Corey Feldman. Um, I feel so bad for. Well, I don't feel bad for Corey Feldman, but I, I hope that he, you know, doesn't tune into the Hollywood Chop Shop and get excited about his trilogy because we've barely <laughs> talked about it through through three movies. Well, the problem is the three movies we chose. He didn't have a whole lot of. It wasn't like he was the leading actor or character in any of them. He was a side character and everything. So I will say in the Turtles movie, kind of, if you guys watch the credits, he does kind of get singled out as being the voice of Donatello because it lists the other three. And then he's the last one. It says, and Corey Feldman as Donatello. So he gets a little more credit than the others. Mm -hmm. Just like Frank Reynolds and Always Sunny. It's that 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 last uh, last credit there. I have so, a, I mean, I have a question hmm? for you. It's un Corey Feldman yeah. related. Is that okay? Oh, that's perfectly fine. I think we finished up the Corey Feldman segment. Let's say there. we were born in a world where everyone else was a turtle, an anthropomorphic turtle. Do you think we would be attracted to turtle women as the turtles are attracted to human women? <laughs> Just wondering. I, I guess there's always the possibility. Because they know. love April O'Neil. Would we, would we be into turtle girls if we Are they like trying them? to have a romantic relationship? Taking out the musical tour that you are using <laughs> where Michelangelo is clearly trying to fuck April... Can you? Did you get the the feeling that they were legitimately trying to have sex with April in this They're movie? They're teenagers. It was innocent, but they clearly had an attraction to her. They wanted to date her. They wanted her to like them. There was flirtation. Michelangelo's impression game. He was on it. Come on, you dirty little rat. You think he does that for anybody? He does that for Splinter, and he does that for April. Well, I I liked when he licked his fingers and then like went to to correct his eyebrows that he didn't have. <laughs> I got to question April O'Neil's decision-making skills. Like, you're just going to let four gigantic turtle <laughs> men that you've just met into your apartment for pizza. Like, I, you live in New York. There's no way she survived this long in New York with that kind of decision-making. In 1989 New York? Come on. Okay, decision-making, Travis, her hair. Do you think Casey Jones had better hair than April O'Neil? Yes. Oh, hands down. Yes. Hands down. Especially when he knows he's on the farm and he, it looks like he's actually cleaned it and combed oh, it. Yeah. Holy shit. Beautiful locks. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. I feel like she's stuck in the 80s oh. a little bit with the hair. Yeah, there's definitely some frizz there. Did you know apparently they tried to give her the yellow jumpsuit that she's known for in the comics and the cartoon and apparently the actress just thought it was god awful and refused to wear it? She didn't like working a six day work week. Yeah. Uh, I it was a good decision. I like that. I like that they they threw in the yellow raincoat at the beginning, just a little bit of fan service. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if she would have been running around in a yellow jumpsuit the whole movie, Jesus. I was surprised. I was surprised the VW bus did not get spray painted by the end of the movie when they and they roll back into New York in a turtle bus. That's that. I mean, I appreciate that they did the VW bus because it's as close as you could get to the turtle van. But I was like, I was. Very surprised that they didn't basically take the engine out of that pickup truck, put it in the VW bus, and then like roll into town in a turtle bus. It's that independent movie budget, right? That's true. Again, spray paint the damn thing, right? Well, that's actually a really good point you make, though, because if this movie had had a bigger budget, they might have done something like that, which would have ruined the movie for me. Yeah, it would have been worse. Alrighty, gents. I think we will roll into some of our other segments. A blue book is apparently ruined because somebody didn't know how to keep numbers out of their vision. Well, I don't get to play blue, so. blue book? 
You can do blue book. Okay. I just know the budget. I don't know the gross. It's all gross. right. All right. But you know it's going to be big. So, all right. The sticker price of this here flick was $13.5 million estimated. All right. For this little indie. What do you think it brought in U.S. and Canada? My Andrew? guess is $50 million. Travis? Two hundred and two million. Now wait, that could be. Is that okay? Never mind. Travis is a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> what he is. Okay, I was gonna trick you and say that for you. I didn't know, but I know that two hundred million is what it made. But I, I thought that was international. That's what it made worldwide. Yeah, that's what it made international. Oh, okay, so U.S. US and Canada. U.S. and Canada was one hundred and thirty-five oh, million. Way off, still way off. And then worldwide, okay. worldwide, it made two hundred and two million dollars. Oh. Can you imagine that? How did you get Can that? Can you Travis? imagine that? Oh my oh. god, just like a psychic. Uh yeah, 13.5 million dollar budget, 202 million dollar return. What did heat make internationally? <laughs> Not that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. I'll I'll tell you what heat made internationally. You don't, you don't have to make us cry on the podcast. No, it's okay. It's okay. So the budget of heat was 60 million dollars. All right, so it was over 3 times the budget worldwide it made 187 million dollars it's close five years later <laughs> <laughs> so with inflation we not <laughs> as lead pipes are being installed and crime is going down the money's going up so Oh yeah, what, how do how do movies fare? Like, did movies get better or worse as the lead went down? <laughs> we could be the first to do that stuff. All right, let's. You you guys ready to do some tag and title? Yes, absolutely. Alrighty, I was gonna talk about the cartoon being called Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles in this segment, but you know, Andrew decided to ruin that one for me because <laughs> apparently his plan is to come in here like a wrecking ball. But what I'm gonna do, boys, is I'm gonna give you three taglines. One is an original tagline for this movie. One is a tagline for a movie I found adjacent, and one is a tagline I created myself. What I need you to do is tell me the original tagline for 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Are you ready? Are you playing the music now, Brett? Oh, the music's coming on, right? Well, no, the music's after I say the three. Okay, okay. I'll okay. give you the three and then the music starts. So here we go. <laughs> New York's finest are finally coming out of their shells. Each has power. Each has purpose. And together they will face their greatest adventure. Hey, dude, this is no cartoon. Those are your three taglines. Andrew, I want to hear yours first. What do you think we got here? I can repeat any of them you need. It's, um, sorry, it's you, the official, and then what's, and the third one's just... Adjacent. Another movie that oh. came out that I found adjacent I forgot, to this yeah. movie. Uh... Oh, I, I hate you so much, Brett, because I can't predict you. I'm going to say New York City coming out of their shelves is official. And I feel so bad about okay. that one. I feel like that can't be right, but... And then, sorry, okay. the other two were, um... The other two are, each has power, each has purpose, and together they will face their greatest adventure. And, hey dude, this is no cartoon. The purpose one is you, and the cartoon one is... 
something else, but I don't know what yet. That's that's my okay, guess. Okay, so you gave two to me. You said New York's finest was mine, and you said each has power was mine. And you said no, no, that no, no. Hey um, Dude was an adjacent tie. Okay. Yeah, you got my... Oh, no, no. You said, okay, you said New York. Okay, that's New right. New York's coming out of the shell is the official. New York is the yeah. official. New York is official. Each has power is mine. Hey Dude is adjacent. All right, Travis, do you have a guess? The New York one is from Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles. That, that's what I'm going to predict. Okay. The, the What was the third one? Hey, dude, this is no cartoon. That's yours, and the middle one is so shitty that I would believe it's official. All right. You all fucked this up so bad. <laughs> I love, I love when both of you get stumped. New York's finest are finally coming out of their shells was mine. I created That's that one. That's a good one. one. I love it. Each has power, each has purpose, and together they will face their greatest adventure is 1995's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, ah. the movie. <laughs> and Hey Dude, This Is No Cartoon was an official tagline for this movie. Bravo, man. You killed it this week. <laughs> the, other two, the other two taglines for this movie were Lean Green and On the Screen and Heroes in a Half Shell. I wonder how many co-hosts we would have to have this week to have gotten it right. Like, if we had eight people, would, would we have all still guessed it incorrectly? You're a sick son of a bitch, bro. That was great. Uh, one of my alternates, my alternates, that I thought about putting in there was Out of the Sewers and Into the Theaters. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's part three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Travis, do you yeah, have we ruined your time capsule this week? I cannot right. believe it. I was confident oh, I just that have Andrew one more thing I wanted it. to bring up. Uh <laughs> do you know who the editor of this movie is? Oh shit, I would have never even thought about editor. No. A lady named Sally Minky, rest in peace. Does the name Sally Minky ring any bells for either of you? No, sir. Uh, no. She was Quentin Tarantino's go-to editor up until her death. Oh. I think she worked on his first five movies, I believe. You'll have to check me on that. But yeah, they were. And a lot of people say that his his quality has gone down slightly since her death. So I, I don't we didn't touch on it. The, the editing in this is, is very fast. It's a very brief movie. But if you were impressed with any of the edits in here, you it's because a fucking legend was working on this movie. No, I thought it was edited great. I, there was never a point where I was like, this is dragging on for me. Yep. It's good. Yeah. So again, I know we talked. Mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead. I was, I was seeing a still of Shredder's helmet. I still think Shredder's helmet. Yes. The purple, you know, metallic, uh, what is it? Jumpsuit he was wearing was interesting, but I thought the helmet was fucking badass. Makes a lot of cold. What were you going to say? <laughs> What were you going to say, though, about the editor? Uh, no, I just I thought the, the edit was was pretty strong in this movie. And again, I cannot believe on a 13 million dollar budget that you attract that level of talent. I don't know where she was in her career. Obviously, this was pre Reservoir Dogs. Uh, so maybe that's why she was why, why Tarantino was able to get her. But that just it's like it's like when you go back and look at like an old football team or basketball team from 20 or 30 years ago and you look at the roster, and you're like, damn, all these people were on that same team. I mean, because I, Jim Henson, 
again, rest in peace. Jim Henson, Sally Minky, Corey Feldman, all stars. I have a yeah. question. Uh-huh. I could not tell if you guys liked this movie in the beginning. Um, and I also don't know where you stood on it when you were kids or if you remember. I was a huge fan when I was a kid, and I loved it when I rewatched it last night. What what exactly were your thoughts on this movie now? So I remember loving it as a kid. I honestly think I had more of an affinity towards Team NT2. Because even when the movie opened, I was expecting the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 opening. I was like, oh shit, I'm thinking of Team NT2. When the, when the Foot Clan go into, the, what is it like? I don't, what is it, a department mall or something like that? And you have Donatello who pretends to be like the, the pushover clown. Like... The, or even the pizza scene, like to me, uh, Team and T two that opening sequence with everybody eating the pizza is so iconic to me in in my movie viewing. Whenever I think of pizza, I honestly think of the opening of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two. Uh, with that, I mean, I still enjoyed the movie. I I thought it was a good movie. I I don't you know it's not going to be at the top of my list, but I I'll glad to go back and watch it again. Uh, this is the best kids movie of all time. <laughs> I, I, I really wanted like a lot of this stuff falls apart. I mean, by the end of the movie, you know, four turtles and a giant rat are standing on a rooftop <laughs> in the middle of New York with a crowd of people down below. The fact that all these kids are interacting with Splinter and then later the turtles and don't seem phased at all about what they're seeing in front of them. Like if you apply logic to any of this, it really kind of falls apart. So I don't think it's like a, actually a great movie, but it's the greatest kids movie of all time. And I never applied logic to it. When I was watching it, I at a certain point, I had the thought of like, I know a lot of this doesn't make sense, but I don't care. It, it's entertaining. It's good. There's enough other I stuff mean, going around that I that I can enjoy it without caring about that. And I didn't even have those nitpicks while watching it. Even this time, it's just kind of when you think about the movie later, you're like, oh, well, yeah, none of that makes sense. But and the fact that, you know, Casey Jones thinks Raphael is just wearing like green paint. He calls him a punker. I'm like, yeah. his head is five times the size of a normal human being. And you think he's just wearing a costume. But uh, again, you don't think about any of that in the movie because it's such a fun ride. So, yeah, I I think I love this movie even more watching it this most okay. recent time. I, I was going to say to yeah. your point with father figure, actually, those kids really walk out on Shredder pretty quickly. There was not a lot of fight yeah. against this strange hockey player, Casey Jones coming in <laughs> whacking Katsu yeah. with a golf club. And then they're like, Oh yeah, we're, we're cool. Guess we're not doing this anymore. But I, I think that's why that Tatsu scene is in there because showing him being abusive to the kids, just yeah. seeing Tatsu get defeated. They're like, Hey, this guy's strong and he's not beating us. So, but yeah, I, shredders, uh, <laughs> Did not develop a lot of loyalty, I guess. Uh, oh, here's my other question. Do you think that this shares the same universe as Fast and Furious? The reason I say that is because do you believe that Dominic, a young Dominic Toretto is in the Foot Clan? And then that's why he, at the in the first Fast and Furious, he's still stealing DVD players. <laughs> I don't uh, know. I don't know. The the West Coast branch of the Foot Clan. Yeah. Well-known New Yorker uh, Vin Diesel too would absolutely love this. Yes. 
that would that would be an amazing cross. Ooh. I mean, they already talked about bringing it in with Transformers. So at some point, just get GI Joe Transformers and and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles all in the same universe with Fast and Furious. They, I mean, they all make the same amount of sense. So that's definitely Fast and Furious doing point. all these franchises a favor at this point. I mean, somewhere Shredder uh, is extremely proud of what Dominic Toretto has done, graduating from DVD players to <laughs> fighting submarines in the Arctic. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know what to say to that. I don't know what to say to that. I don't even want to do my chop shop anymore. I wish I had just done Dominic Toretto. I forgot there's a chop to- shop. I'm so excited. Yeah. To, to your point a little bit earlier, the, the people not reacting to the turtles, when they that scene comes in and Casey Jones beats... T- Tatsu. T- I can't... Yeah, Tatsu. T- you called him, You called him Katsu <laughs> earlier, and then that completely fucking threw me off. I'm like, now I don't remember his name is again. Um... I love, that's the first time I feel like all of them have seen Splinter, and none of them bat the eye that there's a human-sized fucking rat talking to them. They're all like, oh, maybe he's right. Maybe Shredder is an asshole. It's like, yes. I'm going to believe the talking rat. <laughs> you might have to cut this out, but I would love a line where somebody says, hey, Titsu, I'm late on my Sony payments. <laughs> Tatsu oh, would have definitely whooped boy. that person's ass, but. Your mouth. <laughs> Shut it. I do want to apply that insult to somebody one day, though, when he just the message and just slap someone across the face. All right, Travis, let's get to, let's get to chop that's shop. A, that's here. one of the best movie scenes uh, of all time. <laughs> so unexpected, too. Like, especially in a kids' movie. Could you imagine a kid doing that on the playground? He walks up to some little girl. He goes, "I have a message for you." Opens his hand and just slaps her across the face. How many kids went to the principal's office after watching this movie because of that scene? That's a stat I want. And did they drink from lead pipe? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. So, Travis, you had uh, (laughs) Chop Shop. This week, Travis, bringing it to us. Uh, you got Blockbuster again. You almost got comedy, which would have been just fantastic. But you lucked out. You didn't test fate. So let's hear your Teenage Mutant Ninja... Granted, this movie did did gangbusters. But it was not It was not directed as a blockbuster. So I want to hear how you turn this... And I swear to God, if you just copied and pasted the synopsis for Michael Bay's fucking Team and T... I'd salute you, but I'd also be just slightly irritated. <laughs> no, no, I didn't do that. In fact, which one made more money? Mo- oh, I would imagine the '90s one. That's an interesting question. Uh, no, I did something much worse this week, which is I started out with very grand designs and slowly petered out, and then by the time I found out. Uh, Andrew was going to be on this episode. Once I found out Andrew was on, I was like, you know what? I don't really need a 30 minute long chop shop. So uh, I kind of just gave up and you'll probably know the moment I gave up. But uh, 
<laughs> Wait, why, why does me being on here mean that you just give up? <laughs> no, 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 because I, I feel like there's so much more content when you're on the show. Oh, I also I, don't want to ask the listeners to listen to a 45-minute chop show. <laughs> uh, okay, do you, do you want to know numbers real quick? This versus Michael Bay's. Absolutely. Wait, make All Travis right. guess since he did since he already knew the uh, the other one. So, what do you think the budget for Michael Bay's was? Ninety. Hundred twenty five million dollars. The budget from for for Michael Bay's was, I think, what this movie made domestic. What do you think it brought in worldwide? Michael Bay's. It got a sequel, so I'm going to go ahead and apply my. Well, no, there's no way it made three times its fucking budget. My guess is. I'll say 300 million. I was going to go like 170 tops. $485 million. You're forgetting China. China loves his shit. What about inflation, though? I don't know if it's 200, it's 200 million, like the same as that now. I don't know. Yeah, I want my chop shop. Give us some chop. Give us the chop. Uh, So again, I started with grand design so much so that I've I've recast every single person in this movie. (laughs) So I assume that the turtles aren't even turtles anymore. <laughs> no, 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 they're turtles. This is I'm changing the voice actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Michelangelo is going to be played by Timothy Chalamet. Donatello is going to be Ashton Sanders. Uh, he was in Moonlight. Uh, Leonardo, or excuse me, Raphael. We're gonna here we go. The the, the fan base is already gonna fucking the the Twitter's gonna explode. We're gonna change Raphael into a woman and. It's going to be Kiki Palmer. Splinter is going to be Kyle Chandler. Oroku Saki is going to be Henry Golding. Casey Jones is going to be John Bernthal. I thought that casting was good. Uh, April O'Neil is going to be Charlize Theron. And Danny is going to be uh, the kid from Stranger Things, the one who got abducted in the first season. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's not going to be relevant for the rest of that, so I don't even know why I did it. But it's there all I'll think. He he he, ca- he cast Danny, but didn't put him in the movie. Yes, <laughs> he, he's hating Christensen in the Darth Vader costume. Is what he is. All right. So the movie opens with hockey highlights spanning several years. The highlights feature Casey Jones. The action is full of skillful goals and Jones dealing devastating checks on his opponents. Uh, We pull back to reveal the action is playing on the arena's Jumbotron 30 minutes prior to the New York Hockey Legends final game. Jones sits alone in his locker room as he suits up in his uniform, staring at his goalie mask. His concentration is broken when there's a knock on the dressing room door. It's local reporter April O'Neill. She greets her longtime friend and asks if he's nervous. There's nothing to be nervous about. I'm playing fucking goalie. There's no action in goal. Deflect a few pucks. That's it. April admonishes Casey for his negative attitude, pointing out that at 45 in his injury history, Casey is lucky to be finishing his career tonight. You don't understand, April. I just want it to be like it used to be, to be out there in the real action, at the top of the mountain, the best. April looks grimly at Casey and says, the dream you're chasing, where you end up at the top of the mountain, it's the one you never wake up from. 
Uh, we cut to hockey action with Casey and goal. It's a scoreless tie late in the third period. Casey's team is down two men. Uh, so the opposing team's on the power play. There's a huge collision near center ice, and the puck spills out towards Casey. We cut to a slow-motion view of the ice from Casey's point of view. He sees the puck and an open path to the net. Casey takes off towards the puck as the time dips below 30 seconds, and Jones scoops up the puck and rockets towards the opposing goal. As he winds up to shoot, he's blindsided by an opponent, taking Casey several feet into the air before crashing down to the ice. Cut to Casey Jones waking up at the hospital. April informs Casey uh, that he has a concussion and he has to stay overnight for observation. Casey thanks April uh, for staying by his side all these years, implying some sort of history between the two. April leaves the hospital and is mugged by the Foot Clan, uh, saved by the Turtles. Raphael loses his side, which I didn't mention it, but uh, young, young Travis, when Raphael says, damn, I was like, he's Which time? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, what does he say, like three times? Yeah. Yeah, but when he screams damn, I'm like, ooh, ooh, I want to say damn. <laughs> um, uh, April begins reporting on the silent crime wave gripping the city, stating she was attacked over the weekend and saved by good Samaritans. Uh, who didn't stick around for praise and reward, a good example for a troubled city. As April signs off, we pull out from the report to reveal it's being played on a large HDTV in a swanky penthouse located in Fuji Tower, the home base of Fuji Industries, led by Oroku Saki. Saki picks up a phone and mutes the TV uh, as the newscast returns to the studio. April's attacked in the subway, saved by Raph, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, Is this the moment? Uh, Splinter gets kidnapped. Uh, yada, 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 Splinter yada. gets kidnapped. <laughs> um, Raph's recovery, the farm, all that shit. Uh, <laughs> while on the farm, Michelangelo turns on the TV to an Orokusaki press conference. I'm not going to try to do Orokusaki's voice because <laughs> that would not be... Can you give us new appropriate. gung <laughs> <laughs> Lord Sidious. Um, what the NYPD isn't telling you, either because they don't know or they don't care, is that the, the face of this... Is that... I don't know what the fuck I was trying to say there. Uh, the lead pipes? <laughs> oh, the face of this movement to fight back against the silent crime wave, April O'Neil, is missing. And I have reason to believe Miss O'Neil has been abducted by a group of freaks. Freak! Freak! Uh, that was Raphael. Uh, Saki shows doctored footage of April's first encounter with the Turtles where she was rescued. Saki claims to have had the images enhanced, showing brief glimpses of giant turtles. Uh, we get. He also shows uh, footage of Raphael carrying April O'Neil through the subway. So accurately, but he puts it in the context that they've kidnapped April O'Neil. A very important journalist who has spent the last 19 years exposing criminal activity uh, and kept the average citizen informed has been taken. If the NYB NYPD can't do their job, I will use every resource at my disposal to aid the investigation. No further questions at this time. Uh, so basically, uh, Shredder's trying to appear to be the hero of the city, kind of like a Batman figure. Like a kingpin. Yeah. Oh, 
Unintentional Daredevil tie-in, yes. Uh, so while the turtles are on the farm, we're going to have the foot show up to the farm and try to burn the place down. Uh, that way they can frame the turtles. Basically, the turtles will die in the fire, but they'll basically say, hey, they took April O'Neil up here. Yada, 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 fire, they die, whatever. Um, so we're going to cut to uh, the turtles dispatching all of the Foot Clan uh, and tie them to a tree. Uh, I yada, yada, past an important plot development. development. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, so Raph is questioning the first Foot Clan about Splinter's whereabouts uh, in a callback to an early scene with Leo that I didn't talk about. Uh, but basically, Leo's got earlier was telling Raphael to not be so violent, basically. Uh, Raph asks for the location of Splinter. The Foot Clan member spits on Raph and says, fuck you. Uh, he turns around in frustration, wiping off the spit, preparing to question the next because he doesn't want to get too aggressive. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. Suddenly, Leonardo comes in off screen with a katana drawn and says, it's treason then. Uh, and hacks through the Foot Clan member's neck to the point that the katana is embedded in the tree. So I, it really upsets me that Leonardo doesn't ever fucking use the sword. So I wanted a, just an ultra-violent scene of him just chopping through a neck uh, and then getting embedded in the tree. Uh, so the next Foot Clan member realizes the turtles mean business and say, Orokosaki, Orokosaki, the rat is on the 35th floor, screams another member of the Foot. Uh, Casey and April stay behind to wait for the fire department. Uh, the final set piece will be at the uh, top of Fuji Tower in the penthouse. Jesus, I really skipped over some important parts. <laughs> uh, you did not have Tarantino's editor on yours. <laughs> I really didn't. Sally Minky, I need you. Uh, uh, Rokusaki's got Splinter tied up in the penthouse. Uh, what I didn't do, I didn't tell you about the part where I set up the Technodrome. I don't know if either of you remember the Technodrome. I feel like that's a big part you you missed out on Dude. there. Yeah, so Shredder's got a portal in his penthouse, uh, and it's in a room that looks like the inside of the Technodrome. And he, he has found out that the origin of the green ooze was from a Dimension X. Are you guys familiar with that? You remember that? Sure. That's a good cartoon yeah. reference, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he's basically going to try to force the turtles to go into the portal and retrieve more of the ooze by using Splinter as leverage. Uh, the turtles are going to be facing defeat. And uh, at the last second, Casey Jones is going to show up and he's going to run and he's going to tackle Shredder and he's going to knock him into the portal. When he gets through the portal... It's going to be the same image we saw earlier where he got knocked out in the hockey game. So he goes through the portal and then all of a sudden he's back at the hockey rink landing from his concussion and credits roll. That would have been a lot more dramatic if I had, uh, you know, <laughs> read what I wrote. But uh, yeah, <laughs> if I'm honest, Travis, I thought he was going to go through the portal and it was going to be on the top of a mountain and the movie was going to end with him. On top of the mountain again, but separated from everybody else in Dimension X. So uh, he got what he wanted at the cost of everything. Well, the building was called Fuji Tower, like a certain <laughs> mountain in Japan. How about the, how about that for subtext? Mm -hmm. huh? Mount Everest is that is that the one? Uh, Sherpa. 
but yeah, you know, not not my best work. Uh, it's no true Christmas, but uh, uh, no. For for starters, <laughs> I should have known that there was going to be an it's a, it's trees in then line. Um, <laughs> I love it every time it's used, and yet it well, wasn't expecting it. And you answered one of my big kind of complaints about the series is why doesn't Leonardo slice anybody? I just I would give yeah. so much money if he just like you brought up Brett when he's faking out the 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 Foot Clan member. If he just, instead of kicking him on that last one, it's just. <laughs> it's definitely a question as to why they decided to give them all actual weaponry as opposed to they all just got a bow staff or training material. They could have gone through the whole movie since they were fresh ninjas with nothing but all of their training weapons as opposed to the actual ones. So it was all wood. So it would have made a little bit more sense contextually. But yeah, it's so weird. They all. I do, uh, speaking of weapons, though, I do love the scene where Michelangelo faces off against the Foot Clan member with the nunchucks. Oh, you a chucker, too? A fellow <laughs> chucker, eh? Yeah, fellow chucker. So how, would, how great of it would have been when Raph first meets Casey Jones and he's like, no, they don't deserve punishment, not like this, but then Leonardo comes out and chops both of them in half <laughs> by the torso. <laughs> That's in my edit. I'm excited. Uh, you know what the Tetradome tie-in? That's that's fantastic. Also, I had a techno drum toy as a as a child. Yeah, I think it was huge. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. But he had that. Did you have the race car also? That was really long. It was like a foot long race car. At pizza wheels. I don't think so. Mm. Oh, it's really weird. I had it. Yeah. I didn't have the race car. I had the actual sewer playset. Which was pretty awesome because it had all the different. It gave you a bunch of the tubes, and then you could decide where you wanted the sewer to tubes to go. Do you know where I would have put them? Right in the back. I would have thrown them away. I don't need any of those lead pipes in here. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, do you think Shredder's helmet was made of lead? I do. Is that why he was so aggressive and angry? <laughs> Alrighty, boys. Well, Andrew, as always, it's a pleasure to have you come on the show. I think this concludes... Well, I don't think I know this concludes the Corey Feldman trilogy. Uh, we're still debating on what the next trilogy will be, so stay tuned. All we, we do know that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang will be in it. We're just trying to decide what's going to be wrapped around it. And then when that concludes, I think we'll be... It'll be time for our second annual socially obligated <laughs> Halloween trilogy. Uh, We've already started discussing what movies we're going to put in that. So look forward to those. I think that's uh, our next our next two sets coming up here. As always, thank you very much for joining us. Travis, any last words? Andrew, is that a Jose Canseco bet? <laughs> Tell me you didn't pay money for that. Two for one deal. Do you have any last words, Andrew? No. (laughs) I thought you were going to hit me with the cricket and the crumpet. Oh, that would have been... I was going to do the claustrophobic one, but I already used it up, so now I don't have any lines. You already dropped that one? I could drop it now, but no, it just wouldn't... If you want to say what other line didn't age well, that would have been the second, the the other one that... The silver medalist, yeah. Yeah. Silver medalist? Second place? A silver what line is that, is that though in the movie? Is that lead? No, no, no. I'm saying that the, the line was the claustrophobic line the would have been the silver medalist. Oh, I got you. I got language. you. Yeah, next to the Sony one that Brett kept making in the podcast. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs>
I don't I don't even know what a Sony payment like what what is that? They made they made TVs and uh, what else? Yeah, it was such a weird joke. It was it was like a payment thing. I, I believe in the 90s like you would buy a Sony TV and then you would basically pay Sony, you would pay it off. I have a theory. Do you think that that wasn't Shredder's message? Shredder had a different message, but when April said that, he changed the message. <laughs> Yeah, Shredder sent him over there just to be resp- respectfully. Right. Could you kind of calm down on the news a little bit? Then, oh, you're you're a racist. So, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Got a little Japanese joke for you. <laughs> you guys know what I'm going to do with my laptop right after we get done recording, right? Masturbate. Shut it. <laughs> <laughs> Haha, you made a funny. Like the one hour guarantee? Remember we talked about that. Oh, they I, stopped I doing that. that. I, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt your <clears throat> Yeah, you guys uh thank you for correcting my errors for me on the fly. You know, the the driver. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I picked that one up, but when I did more at 11, I didn't know that that was my stopping point. That's my fault, but that's why I said it like it just sounded like you were you were you were curious if there would be more at 11. We'll see. More at 11. I am Ron Burgundy. Uh, right. I'm recording, and I have I have bars. Is that okay, or do I need squiggles? Oh, bars are good. Squiggles are good. You know, as long as there's there's audio coming in, that's all I got. How's the recording going, though? How's the recording going? I know you have bars, Andrew, but how's the recording? Going? <laughs> Not. Oh, That's this a is rap joke. Boy. But Saki claims uh, to, or Saki has had the images, or Jesus Christ, cut this out, Rip. <laughs>